mind does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The Gospel of the Lord. Returned home 
and went to sleep smiling, only to wake up and discover that the bag was still there. Confused, he tried again to bring three stacks of grains to his brother, and on the second night, he took the road through the valley. But on the third night, each brother set out determined to give a gift to his brother, who each believed needed it for them himself. And this time they each took the road over the hill, and of course discovered one And each understood. Their hearts filled with happiness as they realized the love they had both been shown. King Solomon, in telling the story to the feuding brothers of his time, told them that the hill where the gener generous brothers lived later became the city of Jerusalem. And the spot where they met on that blessed night and discovered each other's generosity, that spot became the site for the Holy Temple. The King Solomon in this fable and the Jesus of our Gospel today are both approached by people full of self-interest, who have a death grip on what they believe to be theirs and theirs alone, what they believe to be entitled to. And they want King Solomon or Jesus to solve this problem on their side of the argument. Now, neither King Solomon or Jesus engages the conversation as expected. They both rise to a new level. Solomon speaks of the prolific power of generosity, the power of holding the needs of each other at the same priority as our own needs. Jesus speaks of the danger of greed. The man in Jesus' parable builds shiny new barns and fills them with unshared and thus eventually rotting harvest. Those barns may just be one of our most important metaphors for what happens to our souls when we refuse to share what we've got within. And then there are our material resources. Both Solomon and Jesus offer us a way forward that makes the ways in which we today use our resources unconsciously in the face of poverty and hunger. I thought about not pointing that out because it could come across as a guilt trip. And we don't really do guilt in the physical church. I also thought about not mentioning our unconscionable use of resources because to preach against the ways in which we take advantage of our unfair position of having first dibs on much of the world's material, natural, medical, and educational wealth does seem rather hypocritical to me. Because I gladly take advantage of take advantage of my privileges every day. Greed can play out in very insidious ways, simply through the perpetuation of societal norms. There are some people today in the public eye who embody greed so pungently that we can be tempted to think that since we're not like that, then the sin of greed does not uphold but it has a grip on me. And since I am human, and you all are human, I have a hunch that I'm in good company. You have to name the greed in order to do away with it. The abolition of greed in the world and in ourselves actually requires active and daily work as well, not just naming and 
in church is that we kneel to confess our sins together every Sunday in community. Because in so many cases, our sins are communal. And naming sin in community gives us accountability. Naming sin also deflates the power of sin. The things that we do and the things that we leave undone are often things that quietly uphold inequality, greed, anger, wrath. Some of the very things that Paul was warning the Colossians of a couple thousand years ago in the letter that we just heard Mr. Davies read. But here's the thing. While we know that we need to name well, we need to know that grief-based sins are in us, that they are societal, that they are primal, and that they are real and present. I don't think you can get rid of them simply by talking about them and feeling bad about our engagements in them. The act of confessing our greed in church is meant to be transformative. We need to replace greed with an antidote to greed that greed cannot coexist and the only antidote I know of for greed is generosity. The kind of generosity that is also called love. The kind of generosity that takes into account everyone's basic needs and rights and dignities. The kind of generosity that compels us to see what is left when our own basic needs are met and rejoice in our opportunity to share what we have been blessed with, to share as an act of gratitude and love. This is the kind of generous way of being that can define us as individuals and as a community, as followers of Christ. This is the kind of generosity that Solomon spoke of in his story about the two loving brothers. It is the kind of generosity that chases away not only greed, but also fear and prejudice. It is the generosity of thought and action that causes us to go to sleep at night full of a sense of purpose and joy, and awake in the morning surprised by the persistent abundance of God's love. This is the generosity that we are invited to take part of every Sunday as we gather to listen and be with one another, to learn and to break bread. And as we are then sent out into the world to embody the very love that we have been shown by the generous grace